Welcome to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. Each week, our host, Dr. Laura Shinneman, dives deep into school library topics to help you build your skills and take charge of your own professional development. Her mission is to create an environment where librarians flourish and become lifelong learners. Now, on to today's podcast. I'd like to welcome Amanda Lee to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. So Amanda, welcome here and go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background with libraries. Sure, I'm happy to be here. Um, So I've been in public education for about 18 years now. I started as an elementary teacher um, and I moved from the classroom into some administrative positions and other things and bounced around. And then about seven years ago, um, the library position was gonna be open in my school and I decided that that was just a perfect place for me. So um, this is this has been my seventh year in the library and I absolutely love it. Okay, just out of curiosity, like what, what was the draw to leave admin kind of roles and move into the library? What was the, the appeal there? Um, honestly, I didn't really wanna be in the kind of administrative position I landed myself in. Okay. Um, and I, but I was trying to figure out how to get into like a coaching role. And so they kind of like put me in this um, weird position where I was doing state testing and IPs. And it was just not stuff that I was passionate about at all. Yeah. Um, and about that time, the librarian said, Hey, I'm, I'm getting ready to retire. She was a good friend of mine. She was like, I think you'd be really good. And I was like, Hmm. Let me think about that. And um, I was about to have a baby. So, I mean, it was an interesting time to like kind of do something new. But yeah. um, but luckily, uh, I was able to go to library school online and um, and it just it actually worked out perfectly. That's great. So good transition overall for everybody. That's awesome. So yeah. was it too many years ago um, that you had your your opening years in the library? And a lot of my listening audience are the early career librarians, you know, and, and just they just you know, there's struggles here and there and then the celebrations big, you know, what do you remember about your first couple of years? What were they like? Yeah. Um, so I was really lucky because the way our retirement works, um, that the outgoing librarian actually stayed for half a year. So we had overlap, which I know like most people don't get that luxury. Um, but it was really, really nice to have, we had a full semester together, um, and she could really kind of show me the ropes. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was super, I, I feel very fortunate that I was able to have that kind of experience because I think um, those first few years in the library can be overwhelming because you think the job is one thing and then you get in there and you realize, okay, it is that, but it's also this and this and this and this and this and this. Uh-huh. Like there's a lot that goes on in a library behind the scenes that I think, um, especially if you move if you're in like an education position and you move into the library, like you have this like vision of what the library is and what the library does. And once you get in there, you start learning Mm -hmm. that it's, you know, it's a little bit, maybe not what you expected. So I definitely remember that about my first couple of years. I've seen those visuals with icebergs, you know, where, where it's showing the, all the main activity is, is underneath that water level. And that's what we Mm -hmm. learn. You know, once we get into the role, there's, there's the visible part of what we do. And then there's a million things that people don't have any idea, you know, that a librarian um, oversees and that, that's the lower part of that iceberg. But yeah, that's true. So if, when you're thinking back to that beginning, is there any kind of advice or tips that would have helped you? Um, I think uh, 
the biggest advice I would have given myself right away is feel free to change things, but you don't have to change it all at once. True. Good. Um, I really respected the librarian that came before me. She was a good, good friend of mine. I think she did a great job, but we're different people. We mm-hmm. have different, we have different strengths. We have different interests. And she was in the library long enough that by the time that she got ready to retire, you know, things had changed and she had kind of been set in, you know, this is what I do and this is how I do it. And um, so I came in and started changing things and got a lot like, well, that's, that's not how she did it. (laughs) That's true. Like we're different people. That's, you know, this is, this is how I do it. And so I think, you know, advice would be, that's okay. It's okay if people say, but that's not how we've done it. Mm-hmm. And you just, you respond kindly back to them and say, I know I'm, I'm going to try something new. Let's see how it goes. Um, but the flip side of that is trying to then change everything. You know, you start seeing, well, you know, okay, this librarian on Twitter is doing this. And, you know, I went to that conference and, and they're doing this cool thing over there. And then you try to do it all. And I would say, pace yourself. Like it's real easy to to get overwhelmed in those early years yeah. with trying to, trying to do it all. Yeah, that makes sense. A whole lot of sense. So what about right now um, at this point in the pandemic, what, what kind of things are you working on now versus like, you know, when the craziness all started a year ago? Yeah. So um, we have been virtual this whole time. Um, Yeah. So we, you know, mid-March, like everybody else, um, they sent us home and said, Hey, we'll be back in a week or two. Um, (laughs) Luckily, I had been paying attention. I kept telling people, I don't think it's going to be that quick. And I sent home all the library books. I mean, not all of them, but like literally, like I told the kids, if you can carry it, you can take it home. And I had like little, like little tiny kids carrying stacks of books, like over their heads. They were so excited. And I'm glad I did because they're still home. And I know that some of those kids have good book stacks. Um, but uh, when we, when the pandemic first hit and, and you know, everything was kind of out of control, I did a lot of emergency tech support, a lot of, you know, how do I sign on? I've never used this website. Um, of course, we had just adopted a learning management system last year, you know, which is fortunate that we had adopted one, but, you know, not fortunate that we literally just adopted it. So um, lots of training on the fly um, and, uh you know, fast forward to kind of this fall when everybody's a little bit calmer, we've been doing this a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. I'm finally back to working with students more than I was in the spring. Um, So we're, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but at my school, we're um, preschool through 12th grade. Um, So I work with all ages and um, my elementary classes really like to have story time and lessons every week. So I see them often. And then my middle school, high school, I'm doing more teacher support resources, um, you know, tech, tech support in terms of like, here's a, here's a cool new product you haven't tried yet. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my focus these days. Okay. Well, you caught my attention too, with that age range. Is that a public private charter? What, what kind of school is that? So I work at the Atlanta Area School for the Deaf, and we are a state-run school. So we are run directly by Georgia Department of Ed. Okay. Um, So most states have at least one state school um, for the deaf 
or often deaf and blind. Mm -hmm. It kind of depends on the state. Um, in Georgia, we've got three. We've got um, my school, uh, the Georgia School for the Deaf and the Georgia Academy for the Blind. Um, and my school is a day school. So kids are bused in and okay. go home. And we serve the Atlanta like metro area. Right. And the other two are residential where they um, the kids spend the night all week. Okay. okay. So now I'm dying to know since you, you talked about story time, how, how does that work? Are you fluent in sign language or like what you are? Okay. So I, I am completely, yeah, I'm completely fluent in sign language. Um, I spend my entire day in sign language. Um, we, we separate languages. So um, while some of our kids can access spoken English, our instructional language is American Sign Language. Okay. Um, so when I read books aloud, I read them in sign language. Okay. So because, I, you know, where I live, border town, I think about hearing something in English and then people have to translate that into Spanish. Does that work the same way? Like you basically like pre-reading a page and then thinking about how to translate that? Exactly. Um, and that's, that's something that um, I definitely have gotten better at and being in the library is, um, is doing that kind of translation because you don't sign word, word, word. Right. Um, right. it's much more concept based and description. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll read the page and then I'll sign and kind of add language, okay. um, to it. Very interesting. Well, I never had any, but I didn't even think about that. That was a <laughs> very interesting. Okay. So, did you know sign language before you took this job or is that, I would assume you'd almost have to have. <laughs> yeah. So I started learning um, sign language right after I got out of college. I went home for a year okay. um, and I took some community college classes and got about a year of okay. sign language and to pursue a master's degree in deaf education and then worked in a regular public school for a year before I moved to the school for the deaf. So I've been at the school for the deaf. That's where I was a classroom teacher okay. um, for the rest of the time. Very interesting. Well, thank, thank you for doing that. That's a very important job. You know, that's, and I can't imagine um, just, that's an awesome responsibility too <laughs> that you carry with that, but wow, very good. Yeah. I'm even thinking about like your resources that you, you buy like online resources and stuff. Is that just a totally different like I know in your state, you have Galileo. Um, are they able to access things? Um, yeah, I mean, so accessibility is a big part of my job, making sure that resources are accessible yeah. um, because, you know, not only are our students deaf, but we have a lot of deaf staff too. So yeah. I can't buy things that don't have captions in them because mm -hmm. then, you know, part of my, um, my, staff can't even access them to, right. to interpret for the kids. Right. Um, so it does kind of impact the resources that we get. Okay. Um, the other thing that people find pretty cool about my school is we, um, we have almost a professional movie studio as part of our, um, our school and they produce books in sign language. So like uh -huh. you hear about, you know, audio books for blind students, um, there's not a national program for books to be signed in American Sign Language. So a lot of the schools for the deaf do it on their own. Okay. So we produce really nice videos and then we share those directly with our, our families and our students so that they can get reading experiences at home and, and you know, practice. Wow, very fascinating. That's very interesting. All right, so you, you've talked a little bit about the kind of influence that you have and even just talking about the accessibility, but what else do you kind of see about your role there? Um, 
that you really have an impact on your campus? Um, I would definitely say that I'm a leader on my campus. And I think um, partly that comes from the fact that I've been there for so long and I've got kind of that institutional history. Yeah. Um, and then also being the librarian, I think the librarian is one of the few roles on a school campus that works with all the students and all the teachers. And especially since we're almost three schools in one, we've got an elementary department, a middle school department, a high school department. Right. They sometimes operate by themselves. I can see the big picture because I work with all of them. Um, so I definitely think that I have an influence um, from that vantage point of, of kind of seeing the big picture. Yeah, very good. So when you're starting to think about next fall, um, well, hopefully we all have vaccines and things are back to normal, <laughs> whatever our new normal is, um, what, what kind of things are you thinking about next year of starting to work on? So, um, you know, we've talked about kind of local school. I, I'm not in a district, so I don't work with, with other librarians, mm -hmm. um, but I have been really involved in our Georgia Library Media Association. Um, and I think that that's a, an avenue where I can kind of expand my influence and I can, I can work with other librarians and, yeah. and cooperate and um, learn together. And uh, so that's, that's kind of in the next year, I see my role with um, the Library Association really kind of growing and that being a big part of my. Yeah, and my I'm sure there's a lot. Um, you have a, so much of a wealth of background, you know, because of accessibility things um, that you could share with them. Uh, that was something the other day, uh, Heather Moorfield Lang was somebody that just came out in one of my podcasts and, and accessibility is like her thing. You know, she's a professor at, in North Carolina and but accessibility is like a big passion, you know, of hers and, and just thinking about everybody just in, you know, a regular school setting, there's still so much, you know, that, that we don't know, you know, because we haven't had to deal with it until we have to deal with it. So right. you've, you can bring a lot to the table. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I hope you, you do start sharing a lot. That'd be awesome. Okay, well, I can tell that you're really talking about how, how you advocate on behalf of your students and your staff. Um, let's talk a little bit more about about that, how you see that. Exactly. I mean, like we were talking about accessibility. I mean, that's certainly one area that I definitely advocate for. I, I was on a webinar today and um, for a program that we use at my school and they had training videos that didn't have captions. And I said, wow. nope. all right, guys, like you, you need you need to work on this. Yeah. Um, but I think I think that's a huge role of school librarians is to be advocates. And it starts with, you know, what our students need. Right. Um, and then I think we also are advocates for our staff. I do a lot of professional development for my staff. I do a lot of um, supporting them and whether it's getting resources or helping them use resources or you know, helping them develop ways to collaborate together. Um, I definitely feel like I'm, librarians are in that in between, like we're not above teachers, but we're kind of in between teachers and admin. Like yeah. we're not admin, we're not in charge of evaluating anybody. Um, but we often have relationships with our admin that we can use and we can leverage. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that I, I'm passionate about and I feel like I do a lot. I have a good relationship with my building principal and I, I work with him a lot. Um, but I also see that, that we can advocate higher than just our school level. So I, I believe strongly that um, librarians can advocate, you know, through their state association or through um, other, other groups 
to that state level and even national level to, you know, make sure that we're getting the funding and our kids are getting the resources they need. And I think COVID has definitely shown us a lot of inequities. Definitely. Um, and I think librarians have a role and a voice to speak up about, um, you know, our students not having access to the resources they need. You know, we spent the first several months of the pandemic getting internet access for our families. Mm. Are they doing hotspots or what did y'all, what did y'all end yeah, up? We, okay. we did a lot of hotspots, um, but even hotspots don't work well in rural areas that don't have strong cell phone yeah. towers. Right. Um, so, you know, I think uh, as a, you know, talking to new librarians, I think it's important that you build your network with other librarians and that you find other people to help you um, learn your role. And then once, once you get comfortable that you become that voice and that advocate for your community, your students and your staff and, and libraries in general, I think, I think we all can do that. Yeah, definitely. So you, you, the only school you've ever worked at is, is this deaf school? Is that correct? Um, I've worked at three schools total. But um, as a librarian, as a librarian. As a librarian, yes. I've only been at the school for the okay. deaf. Because I'm even thinking about, you know, just getting a, a mentor. I don't know how you could have done it if, if you didn't have that lady, you're the person who retired, you know, stay mm -hmm. on because you're in such a unique, you know, situation and um, people who might be in a district or, you know, some other kind of system, they're at least able to reach out to each other, but you've got some really unique needs, um, situations, you know, that, that you are taking care of. So, yeah. Um, so when you think about our listeners being early career, and if they are just starting to figure out, you know, their role advocating, do you have any kind of like baby steps for them? You know, things they could try to do? <laughs> I think the first step is develop a relationship with your admin on okay. your campus. Because I think that if you can advocate on that local school level, then you can advocate at a higher level and you can advocate to, to state lawmakers or other you know, stakeholders that you need to advocate for. But I think those conversations of, of saying to your school principal, this is what I need, this is what my students need, this is why, mm -hmm. um, will get you prepared for bigger conversations. So I think that's the first step. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned too, this is what my kids need, you know, and, and that's what our admin need. They need to hear that, you know, that you are focused on students and that that's why you're there. Um, that's our whole purpose. So yeah, and just being that voice, you know, for them to carry that on. So that, that's very good. All right, well, Amanda, um, as we're starting to wrap up our time together, um, what kind of resources do you personally use uh, to keep growing and learning in this field? Um, so Twitter is a big one for me and then my library association. So I've kind of mentioned that as, um, as well, but, um, I follow a lot of people on Twitter. I, I like to get ideas. Um, you can find me on Twitter at AASD librarian. That's at Elena area school for the deaf. Okay. Um, and that's my name on Instagram too. I've just kind of started to do more on Instagram. It's more book promotion. I'm hoping my kids maybe will find me. Um, I went to a TikTok webinar the other day. I'm not sure I'm ready for TikTok, but I'm I lurking. Count to watch. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm lurking to see. Yeah. Um, but then the Georgia Library Media Association, whether you're in Georgia or not, we're doing some great things. We've got, we post a lot of it on Twitter, a yeah. lot of it on our website. Um, and uh, 
I think just connecting with other librarians is, is how you grow and learn and um, go to conferences. So, you know, our Georgia Library Association does a summer institute. Um, we're gonna be in Savannah this summer, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. Yay. Um, and then, you know, I'm hoping to possibly go to the AASL conference, um, which I think is in Salt Lake City. I think it is, yeah. Yeah, in October. Um, I love conferences. I love networking and learning from people. Yeah. I'm just curious, does there happen to be any kind of subgroup within AASL or somewhere else that would that would focus on deaf schools, like librarians who work in deaf schools? There, um, there's kind of some unofficial okay. um groups, like I'm in a Facebook group. Okay. Um and uh, I've I've connected with a few other librarians at School for the Deaf. Um, unfortunately, as we see in a lot of places, budget sometimes doesn't support that position. So even like um, my sister school, the Georgia School for the Deaf, that should be my partner, they haven't had a certified librarian there the entire time I've been the librarian. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, so um, that's, that's sad to see. And I'm grateful that uh, my school is funded well and, and has the budget and I've, we've been able to maintain this position. Yeah. All right. Well, Amanda, thanks for doing what you do. You're really making a difference in the lives of those kiddos there and in the staff members that you work with. And I just look forward to following you and, and seeing all the great things that you're doing. So thanks for your time today. And I hope you have a great time. Bye-bye. Thanks, Laura. I had a great conversation. <laughs>